Today is February 24th, 2021. AOC raises $5 million for Texas relief while Ted Cruz skips town. Biden nominees face an uphill battle in the Senate for confirmation. And Justice Clarence Thomas dissents in a Pennsylvania election case. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic episode for you here bright and early on this Wednesday morning. I know it's been a little while since we last met, but that was just because we wanted to make sure we were bringing you all the best news and insights from both the left and the right side of the aisle. We're doing our best to look at the good and the bad and the ugly from both sides and split it and find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. If you're new with us, that's our goal. We want to be able to cultivate and create a bit of a community in this divisive political world that is able to parse through all the information that we're getting and eventually reach across the aisle and have conversations with and look into things that we may not always agree with, but that we know the opinions are well-informed and we're okay with having those difficult conversations because at the end of the day, that's the only way that this political divide can be bridged. So if that is something that you're interested in, come along as a, with us as we hop on into our first story of the day, story number one. So for our first story of the day, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez raises money while Ted Cruz raises eyebrows. Ooh, see what I did there. So for the past two weeks, uh, Texas has been under snow and ice, and it has definitely not, not looked good. Really, I guess the past three weeks, they have had... I mean, they've been in the headlines nonstop over the past couple weeks because of all of the craziness that is happening down there between snowstorm after snowstorm and then all of the power grid failing. We talked a little bit about it in one of our stories last week. It is, I mean, receiving national attention. Biden announced emergency relief to be sent to Texas through FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, basically giving more resources to help the citizens of Texas and kind of pull them out of all of the muck and the mire that they are in right now because millions have been without power. There have been dozens of deaths over the past couple of weeks. The storm was gigantic and absolutely unprecedented. Uh, many are saying that there actually hasn't been a storm like that in Texas since they were started recording all of the weather, weather you know, patterns that have been happening around that area for, I think, over the past 120 years. I mean, it's absolutely unprecedented. And of course, it's been incredibly highly politicized. So we talked a bit last Last week about all of the arguments on both that are coming from both sides of the aisle, working diligently, of course, to point the finger at the other side and blame them for a weather a weather event, right? That nobody can actually control. The argument is, of course, that you can control how your power grid is structured, and it looks like Texas's was not structured incredibly well, and as a result. It all ended up failing. A lot of their power plants ended up freezing up completely. Wind turbines freezed up. Uh, it, it was it was not a good situation, or the, I should say they froze up, right? Mm, English. So in the midst of all of this, there have been two really, really big stories that have come out over the past week or so. And of course, they involved some of America's most popular politicians. So last Thursday, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez decided that she was going to get together donations to help Texas. Within the last week, 
She has raised $5 million, okay, and has subsequently taken a trip down to Texas to volunteer at the Houston Food Bank. There, she joined other Democrats that are politicians in Texas and handing out food, distributing water, using the money that she raised, I, I would guess, to be able to help the residents in that area. And basically fun things that would get them supplies like clean water because a lot of the areas in Texas are under boil water advisories. The entirety of the city of Austin, I believe, is still under a boil water advisory. And they've got a lot of supplies, a lot of needs that they meet or needs that they need to meet. So uh, a lot of people are going without food because the st grocery stores are completely going bare. Uh, definitely not a good situation for a lot of people. A lot of people in Texas are not used to very cold weather, so they really don't even have clothes that would be able to protect them from extreme cold. So maybe some of the money went towards that. Basically, she went, did a walkthrough of somebody's house, and she released a statement that said, it's one thing to read about what's going on, but it's another thing entirely to see the damage for ourselves. The message in Washington is, let's not let people get caught up in a bunch of red tape. Let's try to get this assistance out the door as much as people need and as quickly as we can. So she went down there trying to help people out. Obviously, you know, depending on whether or not you like her, this is going to be either really, really good or you're going to try and come up with some reason, some nefarious reason why she's doing it. Either way, she went down and was actually helping a lot of people. At the same time that all this was going on, good old Republican Senator Ted Cruz decides that he wants to take a little family vacation and trip with his family down to Cancun to avoid all of the snow and ice. Like an absolute dingus. This man boards a plane, rents out a room at the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun, flies his family down there, and of course when people find out about it, it absolutely explodes. So... Ted Cruz, like every other normal politician, comes out and says that the only reason that he went is so that he could chaperone his daughters on a trip. He basically was just trying to be a good dad, trying to help out. His kids said that they really wanted to be able to take a vacation, and him and his wife Heidi just decided, well, who are we to say no to our daughters? Let's go ahead and take them down on an all-expenses-paid trip to Cancun. So they get down there. Uh, everything blows up because Texas is completely freezing over and Ted Cruz is one of the senators, you know, can and should be there to try and help things out, right? Just a bad look. Within a day or two of him releasing those messages, those statements saying that he was going down there, he apologizes, right? I'm sorry. In hindsight, I shouldn't have gone down there, but I just wanted to be there for my daughters. A day or two after that, text messages from his wife to various people in Texas start to surface where she was texting them and saying to come to Cancun and avoid all the snow because their house was freezing and uh, it was only $310 a night. So everything that Ted Cruz just said was a complete lie. <laughs> so of course, Ted Cruz comes out and apologizes again. <laughs> Because that's what you do when you're a politician and you need bad coverage to blow over. And then after that, he comes back and he doubles down and he says that all the people that leaked the test messages were assholes. And of course, it wasn't his fault. It was just the people that blew his cover that were at fault here. Of course, nothing is ever wrong until you get caught. Then it's wrong. Right, Ted Cruz? So with all of the crapping on the Republicans that has happened over the last few months, 
nonstop, right? It seems like Republican after Republican is coming out and saying or doing something really, really dumb, right? And then you have AOC going down to Texas across the country from her own constituents with $5 million of money that she raised and volunteering at food banks and water distribution sites while one of the Republican senators from the state picks up and leaves his constituents to go on a sunny vacation in Mexico. The exact opposite of the PR that the Republicans needed right now. And the funniest part about every bit of this, right, is there are so many Republicans right now that are coming out and they're like, AOC doesn't care about Texans. She just did it for publicity. She was just out there trying to make a statement. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is actually terrible. She just raised all that money and went down there and handed out water and food to people because she was just trying to make the Republicans look bad. Um, well, okay. Then let her make statements. I wish all of the politicians in this country would really just stick it to the other side, right? By going out and fundraising millions of dollars and then going down to those politicians' constituents and handing them out to those those people and really just helping those people out, that'll really show the other side, right? Just really stick it to them. Instead of trying to blame the other side for everything that's wrong in the world, it may seem like a good course of action for politicians to convince constituents that could be voting for them that they're going to be helping the good things in this world. It's the definition of vote for me because I'm proving that I'm doing good as opposed to vote for me because the other side is so bad. And I feel like this really, really gets down to the crux of the Republican message over the past year to two years and how poorly that is, okay? When your only message as Republicans is, you have to vote for me because the other side is bad. And here's how the other side is bad. Uh, uh, I don't know, we're going to name socialism, right? We're going to name they're taking away your guns. They want to kill babies in the womb, right? Instead of you coming out and actually arguing about all the good things that you are doing within your party, then when eventually... Republicans do bad, which they will do. It makes it look like maybe you don't need to be elected into office because you're no better than the people that you've been clowning on for the past couple of years. It just blows my mind that Ted Cruz would decide and think that it is a good idea for him to fly down to Cancun in the middle of one of the largest snowstorms and power outages in Texas's history. He at no point decides, hmm, I wonder how this is going to look, not if it comes out, but when this comes out, right? Because all of these politicians are under a heavy, heavy amount of scrutiny. People know where these politicians go. They're taking pictures of them everywhere they go. They are always under the looking glass, right? And Ted Cruz knew that he was going, that people were going to find out that he decided to do it, right? Why in the world would he think that this was a decent idea, right? And if it just would have been his family, I don't think that people would have freaked out about it nearly as much, but it literally looked like Ted Cruz was getting up and abandoning the entirety of the state of Texas to go somewhere else, right? And I've heard, I've heard all of the Republicans say, well, what do you want Ted Cruz to do? Do you want him to make it warmer? No, obviously Ted Cruz can't make it warmer. 
But AOC thought of something to do. Just going to throw that out there. I, I don't know. Maybe raise a little bit of money. Maybe start calling neighboring state governors and state uh, repo- uh, representatives and senators and saying, hey, are you guys able to ship in some supplies to us? Uh, maybe look around and start figuring out good ways that you can legislate stuff into action that will make sure that this doesn't happen anymore. Seems to me like Ted Cruz would be in a position of power to, you know, I don't know, effectuate a lot more change than other people would be, right? And Ted Cruz just decided to pick up and bounce. Blows my mind. Also, this is probably going to be my bro what for today as well. Just how can it not be? Absolutely pitiful. So really, really high quality stuff coming out of the Republican Party this week. Ted Cruz obviously was one of, he was the second in line for the nomination for the Republican ticket in 2016. I'm sure that Ted Cruz is thinking about and wanting to run for president in 2024 as well. He is one of the leaders and stalwarts of the Republican Party, and this is the kind of stuff the Republicans are producing right now. Pretty embarrassing stuff. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's hop on in to our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, Biden nominees are having a tough time getting pushed through in the Senate. So Biden has actually a lot of positions that need to be filled. Uh, The Senate has been preoccupied with a couple of different things like COVID relief, which they are, you know, stuff is just not really rolling forward on that very well. And of course, on the election fraud and Donald Trump inciting a, a whole, you know, all the stuff on January 6th, Capitol riots, Trump's acquittal. So Right now, Biden has specifically two nominees that he's trying to get pushed through that are running into a bit of trouble getting cleared through the Senate. So one of the more quiet political processes that happens in this country is the appointments that are made by governors and especially by presidents at the executive office level. For a wide variety of different offices, there are appointed and unelected officials that effectuate a tremendous amount of change that happens within this country. They help piece together policy that eventually gets approved. They help direct departments that are over billions and billions of dollars. They make decisions on how the roads work. They make decisions on how the hospital system works. They make decisions on stuff like vaccine rollouts and uh, the environment and protecting the environment, right? There are an incredible amount of things that executive branch functions do that are all, for the most part, appointed by the president and voted upon by the Senate. Okay. Um, and for, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of seems like this is how a lot of politicians keep and seek control for a really long period of time because they are unelected, right? They just have to be voted upon by the Senate. And the idea behind it, of course, is you couldn't vote on every single one of those officials that would be in the executive office or the executive administration. And as a result, you need to have the people, having their representatives vote upon who can fill those seats, okay? So the two appointments that are really stirring up the most trouble are Neera Tandon and Xavier Becerra. So Tandon is for the Office of Management and Budget, and Becerra is for the Department of Health and Human Services. So Neera Tandon is coming under fire because Republicans have said that she has said a bunch of very mean things about them over the past couple of years on Twitter. Yes, you heard that right. She has tweeted mean things about Republicans, and now they're disqualifying her her from office as a result of that. They're saying that she's too partisan, right? Like she has come out. She said mean things. So let's let's read let's let's read a few things that she said, okay? 
Um, one example includes she called Susan Collins the worst. Another, she called Tom Cotton a fraud. And then she yes, actually said one time, vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz, which is extremely funny in light of what happened over this past week. And then lastly, another one was she called Mitch McConnell, Moscow Mitch, <laughs> and Voldemort, okay? All, almost all of which are objectively incredibly hilarious, right? Especially one, the one about Ted Cruz. And I mean, how can you, Moscow Mitch, like, come on, that's pretty funny. So um, it's because of these all incredibly partisan and negative statements. The Republicans say that she is not qualified for the office, right? How is she going to be able to work with Republicans if she said mean things about them? Okay. The left, on the other hand, um, calls bull hockey on all of that, namely because of the president and the entirety of the right just embraced for the past four to five years. All of the absolutely awful things that Donald Trump said on Twitter on a very, very frequent basis, once calling an ex-lover and former porn star Stormy Daniels a horse face, um, at one point alluding to being able to beat up Joe Biden in a physical altercation after calling him mentally slow and physically weak. Trump said some absolutely horrible things. And yet, there were very, very few calls on the right side of the aisle to have Trump silenced from Twitter or saying that he was unfit to be able to perform the duties of his office because he would not be able to work in a bipartisan fashion because he said some incredibly mean things about Democrats. No, everything that Donald Trump said was perfectly fine. So the argument from the Republicans is basically that she's too partisan. She obviously doesn't like them. Okay. Honestly, fair. Okay. Definitely is true. Now, I think that if the Republicans were coming up more on the lines of and the arguments of we're not necessarily upset that she said mean things on Twitter because plenty of people say mean things on Twitter, but we're more worried about the fact that she would not be able to work in her office in an effective capacity because for the Office of Management and Budget, you have to work in a very, very bipartisan manner, right? And there are actually two Democrats that have come out and said that they would also oppose her nomination because of this exact reason. So um, Manchin out of, I believe out of West Virginia came out and said that he would not be voting for her because he believed that she was not, she was way too partisan and that as a result, she would not be able to act like effectively uphold the duties of her office. Kind of fair. So it's, and I mean, the way that it's looking right now, it legitimately doesn't look like she's going to be able to actually get confirmed because she has come out and sunk herself by saying a whole bunch of mean things on Twitter. So who would have thought that appealing to the Twitter mob over and over and over again, piling up on Republicans like the, the Twitter mob loves to do, would actually end up keeping her from being able to get appointed to an incredibly high office within a Democratic administration? Um, doesn't look like she's going to be able to make it because she liked to dunk on a bunch of Republicans on Twitter. So, as for Xavier Becerra. So, Republicans have said that he is too far left-leaning, and he doesn't have the healthcare experience in order to properly carry out the responsibilities of the position. Absolutely makes sense, and they are actually completely correct on that. But, hardly any of the people that are appointed to these positions actually have experience in the respective fields that they would need to, Okay. In the Trump administration, Ben Carson was the head of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. He was a neurosurgeon. He had he didn't know anything about housing and urban development. Like, don't get me wrong. Ben Carson is an extremely intelligent guy. I am sure that if he started out his career and decided to go into housing and urban development, he would be incredibly good at it, right? 
but he had zero prior experience coming into that position, right? Right now, Pete Buttigieg is currently the head of the Department of Transportation. The only thing Pete Buttigieg has ever done is be mayor of South Bend, Indiana, right? Which is really not even all that big of a city. He doesn't know anything about transportation. He's not an engineer, right? He doesn't have any form of formal training in running any type of large or gigantic government office, which, you know, has an incredibly large budget, right? He, he doesn't. Like, he just, they know that Pete Buttigieg is probably going to be a shining star for the Democrats at some point in the future. So they've got to be able to get him up put him in some type of position of political power so that he gains the experience necessary in order to be able to continue on in his democratic political career. It's a very, very clear and easy way to be able to stay in politics and run for office and keep your name top of the payroll for a very, very long time. So um, I totally agree with the fact that Xavier Becker, for the most part, really doesn't have the experience that he would need in order to actually be able to run the you know Department of Health and Human Services, which right now is an extremely important department because it oversees a lot of the stuff that is happening right now with the coronavirus. Over the next year to two years especially, we will need somebody in that position that will be able to actually do the job well, right? We have not had a very, very good, um, we'll say, running of what has gone on with the vaccine and with the COVID, uh, COVID protocols and everything that has happened over the past year, year and a half. So we need somebody in there that actually would be able to effectuate good change. Do I think that Becker would be able to do it? Honestly, probably not. Okay. Do I think he's an appointment that they want because he is, you know, somebody that they may be able to want to have on the democratic payroll for a little while? Very, very likely. So it is looking like at this point, Neither Xavier, uh, Becerra, nor Nira Tandon uh, are looking like they're going to be able to get pushed through and confirmed, both of them for very different reasons. Um, but for the most part, it's because at this point, the Republicans realize they need to keep people that are extremely left-leaning out of the Biden administration as much as possible if they want any shot at all of having some sort of bipartisan or at least you know, middle of the road and moderate type of government and legislation coming out of the Biden administration anytime soon. If Biden himself claims to be a moderate, but he appoints around him incredibly left-leaning people, it's going to be difficult for to see his administration not putting out a lot of incredibly left-leaning policy over the next couple of years. So, with all of that having been said, let's go ahead and end our story number two and hop on into our third story and last story of the day, story number three. So for our third story of the day, Clarence Thomas, the stalwart conservative justice, got in some hot water for his dissent on um, basically cases that were supposed to be coming up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided to shoot them down and not to hear the arguments for them, for them not to be tried in the Supreme Court. Uh, the cases were coming out of Pennsylvania and they were surrounding the elections and basically how Pennsylvania carried out the elections uh, in their state for 2020. Uh, they were shot down at a six to three vote. Thomas dissented and he made the argument basically that it would be very, very important for these cases to be argued because of the incredibly unprecedented way in which this past 2020 election was carried out. So let's go ahead and hop in real quick. This is Fox News reporting on this uh, over the past couple of days. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas issuing a big warning today about the future of U.S. elections. 
Justice Thomas dissenting as the high court ruled 6-3 to three not to review two Pennsylvania presidential election cases. Thomas argued the court should look at the cases to resolve whether non-legislators, like election officials or courts, have any power to set election rules, like easing mail-in voting restrictions. Writing these cases provide us with an ideal opportunity to address just what authority non-legislative officials have to set election rules and to do so well before the next election cycle. The refusal to do so is inexplicable. Now, Thomas says it's fortunate that election rulings by Pennsylvania Supreme Court did not involve enough ballots to affect the outcome of the 2020 election. But he argued changes to mail-in voting or other election rules right before an election make the voting process prone to fraud and mistrust, writing, we failed to settle this dispute before the election and thus provide clear rules. Now we again failed to provide clear rules for future elections. The decision to leave election law hidden beneath a shroud of doubt is baffling. By doing nothing, we invite further confusion and erosion of voter confidence. Our fellow citizens deserve better and expect more of us. All right, so... I've seen a lot of articles over the past couple of days with some very, very interesting titles, okay? This one is done by CNN. It's titled, Justice Clarence Thomas Reveals Some Sympathy for Trump's Baseless Fraud Claims. Okay. Uh, next one is by Slate. That, you know, man, they're always bringing all the good stuff over to Slate. Clarence Thomas provides Trump, or Clarence Thomas promotes Trump's voter fraud lies and alarming dissent. This last one by Newsweek, Clarence Thomas' GOP election challenge dissent sparks calls to investigate his wife. All right, so we need to get a couple of things cleared up here, okay? One, the cases that were brought up would not have been enough to flip the election. At, at all. That wouldn't have been enough to flip the election. Uh, number two, the cases would not have been able to flip the election. The third thing I would say is that the election can't be flipped. And the fourth thing would also be that there's no way that these could have possibly flipped the election. Okay, so we can just go ahead, knock that out, knock that out very, very soon. So when Clarence Thomas says that he wants to hear a case that's talking about the incredibly unusual circumstances within this past election, he is not winking to the claims of voter fraud being rampant within Pennsylvania and within the country. We had, the in this last election, the largest number of voters in history. We had the largest amount of mail-in ballots in history. We had the most amount of unelected officials making laws and rules around how elections would be taking, taking place. Very, very close to the elections actually taking place. We had multiple states that could have, been, could have been decided the election come down to a difference of 1% or less. Some of them only separated by a, a couple thousand votes, right? There were clear calls for investigation into voter fraud, and there was a historic amount of distrust in our election system, okay? Now, I know that a lot of that has to do with Trump. I agree. I also am not under the impression that there was absolutely rampant voter fraud that happened. I don't believe that there's any evidence that that took place. However, it is not just Trump that was worried about election fraud. He wasn't the only person. And whether or not you agree with the claims that the Republicans were making, hearing arguments for and solving some of the problems with elections and one of the largest states in the union could without a doubt help to quell some of the doubts that people have in our current election process. Clarence Thomas was not lending credence to the election fraud or to the election being stolen. 
Okay. Clarence Thomas was saying very simply, we have had plenty of cases that have come up. We have had plenty of disinformation that has been pushed around. And for us not to hear arguments and try to solve some of the difficulties in our electoral process, especially around mail-in voting, that is not fair to the American people. And it is only going to sow further discord down the road. If we think the mail-in balloting is going away anytime soon, we are sorely mistaken, okay? This just happened to be the first time that it was done in mass, and it also happened to be done very, very, very quickly because of the coronavirus. But there needs to be arguments, there needs to be things that are point that are argued about and pushed around at the Supreme Court level because that eventually is where the buck stops, right? I totally agree with and support Clarence Thomas coming out and saying that he thinks that the arguments need to be had. Totally agree with that. At the end of the day, the only thing that that could do is hopefully help to clear up difficulties and problems that many, many states had. And it would hopefully start to quell some of the fears that people had, right? It was not just Trump, obviously, that thought the voter election fraud or fraud within our election happened. A lot of his supporters thought that it happened, of course, but there were people that were so inflamed and enraged by it that they literally stormed the Capitol on January 6th, okay? That is a lot of people that, are, that have lost faith in our democracy. And our, our, I mean, the baseline ability to be able to choose who it is that is becoming the next president, okay? It would be able to quell a lot of the disinformation around what took place in Pennsylvania, hopefully be able to quell and stop a lot of the disinformation that was happening around the Georgia elections or maybe the Arizona elections or the Michigan elections. There are so many different things that this could touch on and that this could help if arguments were gone ahead and given in court. But I just wanted to go ahead, clear that up. I don't think that Justice Thomas <laughs> was standing up there and saying that he agreed with Donald Trump. I think that Justice Thomas was simply saying it is important for the arguments to, to be had. So with all of that, that is the end of our third story of the day. We will go ahead and wrap our show up there. Thank you for stopping in and for checking us out today. Remember, as always, to look me up on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference and on YouTube at Split the Difference as well. Please check me out on my website at splitthedifference.com with one T. Give me, find me in all those places and give me likes and subscribes and all of the thumbs up that you can because those things help when they go an extremely long ways in helping me to be able to get my story and my messages out there to many, many more listeners that may want to hear. As always, y'all, remember, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We're, of course, we're going to be reasonable, and we're always going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.